Hey ladies, welcome to the Diamond Hands podcast. So you want to own a med spa? Welcome to our community and explore the exciting industry of medical aesthetics and hear from experienced med spa owners and relevant industry experts to guide you on your path. Mindset, money, practice management, marketing, find it here. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Diamond Hands Podcast. Today, we are so excited to have with us Nina Silver, the owner of Silver Solutions Med Spa in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. Welcome, Nina. Hi, Leslie. How are you? I am fabulous, guys. You just see this leather jacket she has on. She is looking so snatched. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Love it. So, you know, Nina, um, you know, everybody wants to know, you know, you've been doing the med spa game for a while and, and been in the nursing field and everything. You know, tell us um, you know, a little bit about your background. What was your passion for getting into medicine in the first place? And what was that path that actually led you to, you know, becoming a med spa owner? Right. Great. Um, well, I actually started out as a musician artist and grew up playing the viola and painting and drawing. And way back, uh, my mother and grandmother were teaching me all the needle arts, which is interesting because embroidery and knitting and uh, hooking rugs and using the sewing machine. And here I am using needles again. Yeah. But uh, after I uh, went through music and art high school in New York City, which was one of the famed schools, I decided that I wasn't going to be a famous musician or artist and Mm -hmm. kind of got caught up in the 60s and didn't know what to do with myself. My parents, like, you need to go to college or the very... This is the last episode in season one for the Diamond Hands podcast. For the past 30 weeks, we have interviewed amazing med spa owners. We have talked to industry experts. Next season, we're coming in hot with plastic surgeons, with peak performance coaches, with other med spa owners that we haven't heard from before. And we are going to be upgrading our systems and we're back the first week in September. So if you have enjoyed the time with us, We do ask you to go on Apple, find us at Diamond Hands Podcast, and leave a review. Find us on Instagram at Plan Life Happens. See you soon. The first person in our family to go to college, uh, immigrants from Germany and Russia. And my mom basically put her foot down and said, either you go to college or you're out. And I'm like, oh, well... Uh, I'm too young to be out, so I better go to college because I don't want to earn my own way. So I actually flipped through the Bronx Community College Guide. I was living in the Bronx, and I put my finger down on the page, and it said, live in the nurse's residence for free. And I was like, yeah, moving out. That's how I became a nurse. So Interesting. I didn't grow up saying, oh, I want to be a nurse and I really have a passion for helping people and I have a reason for doing this. No, my reason was moving out. Wow. 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 Yeah. So as 
as time went on, I started to appreciate the uh, the nursing profession, the caring, the help. There definitely was a deep part of me that related to taking care of people and um, compassion. I think compassion is such a huge part of this business completely in all ways. And of course, graduating from nursing school, I started out in intensive care, coronary care, because I don't want to do anything little. I want to like get in. Right. So it's emergency room or intensive care, coronary care. And I spent 15 years in ICU, CCU, um, seeing a lot of pathology and sickness and disease and death. And uh, eventually that got to me. There is a real true thing called ICU psychosis, which is sort of like a, a, a mind thing that happens to some health professionals. It's like a now they call it post-traumatic stress disorder, I guess, oh, wow. that after seeing so much death and seeing so much sickness and seeing the sadness of the um, patients' families, and it, it, was, it was definitely something that got to me, and I decided yeah. that it was time to quit. Wow. And yeah, um, you know, once you start seeing people walking down the street with tubes in their mouth, you know that you've gone a little bit too far mm. into, well, mm. into the dark, you know. Right. So uh, I was married at that point, and mm. my former husband said, hey, you're, you're an artist, love artistic, you know, paint and all of that. Why don't you go to college? take up painting or something, you know, some art thing. I was calling it, I was calling it at that point, advanced uh, physical and emotional therapy because wow. I had spent such a long time uh, kind of seeing so much death and sickness and sadness that I'm like, okay, I'll go and I'll put some clay on a wheel and spin yes. some pots. And yes. yes. So I went to Parsons School of Design and I got in on my knitting and needle portfolio. Wow. So I so I developed a portfolio of knitted seams, which I put up on the roof um, of my apartment building in the Bronx. I set wow. up seams of knitted people playing tennis or <laughs> just you know, all these sunbathers knitted anim with animals that were knitted and crocheted and went to muse uh went to parsons and was admitted on my knitting portfolio that's so. wild that's <laughs> so wild that you had um you know that kind of like therapeutic gap and you're able to create a bunch of happy things after being in a, such an, an intense area of like you know loss and dying wow so sorry to yeah. you and then uh, when I graduated, I worked for a weaver and she was doing floor to ceiling woven uh, tapestries for airports and big business buildings, entryways. So I spent three years just meditatively weaving with a group of other 
uh, women. We were on a scaffold. These were very what? tall. Uh, yeah, she had a loft in Soho, and we had floor-to-ceiling tapestries that we were working on. And uh, did that until my former husband and I moved to the Berkshires. It was time to get out of uh, New York City. Uh, uh-huh. He had finished uh, internship and residency. He was also director of pediatric emergency services at yeah. our Bellevue Hospital. Oh, wow. So, Huge. Yeah. So it was like we were both ready for a slower life. And yeah. we moved to the Berkshires. Yeah. Wow. So how long have you been in the Berkshires now? Oh, since 1984. Been here. Oh my God. Right, almost local, but not quite. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Wow. Berkshire is a very beautiful area, though. Oh, my goodness. If you guys have ever a chance to get out there, you, you have to. And, and so, all right, so your, your husband had just finished that. Your former husband, and you had just finished this whole foray into art and building size tapestries and everything. So, at what point were like you know? At what point did the the the, the you know the light bulb go off and you're like, oh, I'm going to meld my art and my medicine and and, and do aesthetics. When, when did that come about? What was the transition? That was definitely a winding road. I yeah. I call you know. Uh, abstract mind, winding thoughts. I started out actually when I moved to the Berkshires working at Canyon Ranch, uh, Canyon Ranch Spa, Health Spa. And I worked as a lead nurse educator and did a lot of the opposite of what I had done originally in nursing, Mm -hmm. which was coaching for health and wellness. Uh, Then I left Canyon Ranch with uh, Dr. Mark Hyman, who is the ultra wellness person. And he's written a lot of books. He's been on television. He's lectured all over the world. And um, we left to open the Ultra Wellness Center, which is in Lenox, Massachusetts. And I spent 80 hours a week helping him set this up. Wow. Coaching people on the wellness end. Uh, eventually, I burnt out. And Eight hours a week, I mean. It was a, it was a lot. And one of the things that I started thinking about is I'm supporting all these other businesses. I help Canyon Ranch open and grow. I help Mark open and grow. Gee, what am I going to do for myself? Yeah. So instead of facing that question, I left to hike the Appalachian Trail. <laughs> <laughs> Shift. Uh, my children weren't coming home from college that summer. I rented yeah. my house, so I was sure not to come back home. Wow. And uh, I got my backpack and I started backpacking. I had grown up, my parents were big backpackers. Oh. And uh, so here I am hiking and I'm somewhere in Tennessee and I get a phone call from a friend of mine who says, What are you doing? Oh. And I said, oh, I'm hiking. What do you think I'm doing? I'm out here hiking. And she said, no, no, I mean, when you come back. And I said, oh, that's a long time from now. I'm not going to think about that. And and she said, well, um, she owned a little med spa. And she Mm -hmm. said, 
you like Botox, you're artistic. I had partake in uh, some Botox treatments along the way. Yeah. Said, Why don't you learn how to do Botox? Come home, work for me. And I'm like, hmm, okay, well, right now I've got dirt under my nails. I haven't looked in a mirror in like a week. Never mind, take a shower. I'll think about it. Yes. So um, eventually I found myself out in California on my wanderings. And wow. I actually... Yeah, I did some uh, shadowing. I did a month worth of shadowing with a practice that was out in Dana Point near Laguna Beach. Mm-hmm. I shadowed a husband-wife injector team. They were, at that point, the third largest injectors in the United States. They had a back room that was boxes of filler, floor to ceiling. And I learned so much there. And it was, it was really... Uh, a big eye opener. I came back to the Berkshires eventually, eventually, and <laughs> yes. found my way home. Took over my house again, yeah. and uh, one of uh, one of the Allergan reps uh, knew me and actually said, "Hey, Nina, why don't we do some Allergan training and we'll really hone your skill?" And that's when I met some of my closest earliest friends in 2008 2009 who were Mm -hmm. allergen trainers who um spent a lot of time with me and i learned the art because it is an art and the art of injecting which is one of the reasons i love this field so much it just Mm -hmm. continues to grow the creativity the new um research and findings that are happening it's a really fascinating field as a yeah. person who helped a lot of businesses start mm-hmm. and then kind of got a little tired of that i'm so excited to be in a business that i started for myself that continues to grow and be creative so yeah yeah, I, I love that. And then, by the way, like, this is like a side note, but your voice is like so soothing. I can like listen to it. <laughs> well, well, okay. My other big secret is that my daughter spent nine months in a yoga ashram in California. And in order to visit her, I spent six weeks there. I got my yoga teacher training. So it's sort of like, Oh, and when and when we do Botox, I call it Boga, Botox Yoga. It's like okay, oh my God. take a breath. Yeah, you're like, okay. Like when when I met you, I knew I had to have you on the podcast. Like you, you can just tell you have so many layers to you, and it's so interesting. I literally love it. It's so great. <laughs> And Thank you know, you. with the artwork, um, with, with with you know, in in the in the in the medical field, we see now like medical aesthetics, you know. Do you feel that something that can be learned or do you think that artistic eye is something more, you know, innate to a practitioner? I think it can be learned. I do. I right now I'm training a new nurse and she's so fascinated at all of the little nuances that I pick up just from a person sitting in the chair and saying hello, mm-hmm. pointing, but to have a mentor, a mentor is so important. Yeah. Anybody, I won't say anybody, but sticking needles in people's faces is something that many, many people do take a mm-hmm. 
one day course, the weekend course, and go out and do that. But the actual um, detailed view of a person's anatomy and how it's affecting their movement and their face, that can be learned. Mm -hmm. um, I, I see my new nurse, Emma, just developing an eye where person will come in and sit down and she'll say, oh, you know, and she's starting to pick up all of that. But I, I do feel that hours of shadowing are yeah. really important with an injector that is a practitioner very focused on anatomy, movement, natural, um, what looks real, what's not real. All of those things are so important. And it's... Um, one of the reasons why I continue to go to so many conferences and seminars and yeah. shadow other injectors, even, yeah. you know, it's sort of like, I'm excited I'm going to be shadowing an injector in Atlanta, and it's just so exciting to learn new things. I'm yes. very appreciative of the artistic eye, all of the artistic eyes. So I feel it can be learned. Certainly mm -hmm. people who come in and have that eye are mm -hmm. uh, more at an advantage for creating beautiful natural outcomes. Exactly. Uh, I also think that it's important to um, not get caught up in all of the trends that are mm -hmm. happening. Uh, we're developing such a um, skewed vision of what's normal with Instagram and yes. uh, it's it's really become kind of a dividing point between practitioners almost. Yeah. Look at the dis this dysmorphia we call it body dysmorphia the mm -hmm. the um, changes that are being created in people's faces uh, by injectables or by this industry. But then again, there's that long term long time discussion and argument hey for years we've been ordaining um using decoration of our bodies we've mm. pierced and we've scarred and we've worn and we've just so who's to say all i all i know is uh i uh when patients come to me they look at me and they go oh you look normal and then they say but you have no lines and i say yeah because i have a refrigerator filled with botox but uh, yeah. yeah i mean i think i think that's interesting it kind of um goes to, to my next point because you, you talk about the divide and and you know because there's not only how we look now but you know some of these extreme things that people are doing with their faces when they're 25 26 like How's that going to look when you're 45, 50? You know, and, and I wonder sometimes about these people who make extreme changes to their face with filler and different things. And right, and we're finding, yeah, and we're finding out more and more as the uh, industry advances. We're having MRI research now mm -hmm. uh, about filler integrated into tissue. We're seeing ultrasound. We're having plastic surgeons discuss what they see when they go in to do a facelift for a patient who might have certain kinds of filler. So mm. these things are being um, 
they're being discussed more and more. And there's really a core group of very strong researchers that are looking at the long-term effects now of, of some of these procedures. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I know something that you, you kind of, you kind of coined yourself as one of the more mature practitioners in the space, you know, but you, know, you look amazing. I know, but you, you, you didn't come into this when you were 25. So my question to you coming into aesthetics as a, you know, mature seasoned woman, do you feel any strain from the industry to fit into a mold that like, you know, is it you? Like when you go to these different conferences, there's different things like, how do you feel about that? I love that question because I have to say when I first started going to conferences, my first big one was in 2010 in Canada. And I was kind of a little blown away by the outfits, the stiletto heels. This, I, I mean, I'm from the Berkshires. I'm like Birkenstock, you know. If they're 20-year-old Burks, they're even better because yes. they're super comfortable. <laughs> and um, I, it was a little bit of an eye-opener, the glamour uh, that is associated with this industry. And I thought, geez, I better up my game. So the next conference I went to, I was a little bit more mindful of what I brought to wear, uh, you know, brought a little bit more makeup, um, yeah. maybe a curling iron. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I do feel that this industry does have a very glamorous side to it. And we see it in a lot of the key um, opinion leaders in our business and uh i think that glamour has driven a lot of this business too i mean certainly we we all know that the kardashians kind of were sort of the foundation for almost what's happening yeah. in this business um i mean Last year, oh, two years ago, my husband was like, what do you want for your birthday, honey? And I said, a Gucci belt. And he said to me, where the heck do I get a Gucci belt? And I said, listen, when you go visit your parents in New Jersey, go to the mall there, go to Gucci, find a Gucci belt. I said, yeah. I don't want one with like sparkles or whatever, just, you know, tasteful Oh, sure enough, sure enough, he comes back and presents me with this Gucci belt when we were having dinner, and there uh -huh. were some younger patients of mine sitting at a table, uh -huh. and they came running over, and they're like, oh, he's so thoughtful, he's so wonderful, and I'm like, yeah, so yes, I have a, I have a Gucci belt. <laughs> Well, you know, I would say that's, kind of, that's an upgrade from Birkenstocks to Gucci. Oh, girl, you gotta go to one. I love it. You know, <laughs> but I, I definitely appreciate the glamour in the business. I, I think, um, I think there's so much beauty in this industry, and when well done, uh. Just people look extremely well taken care of and mm -hmm. beautiful, and uh, all the things that I'm striving for for myself and my patients, where mm -hmm. where you don't have people talking behind your back, 
and saying, oh, my God, what did she do? Oh, look at those yeah. whatevers. But where you have people say, wow, that person really takes care of themselves. Um, do they eat well? Are they drinking a lot of water? You know, uh -huh. what about their makeup, their hair? These little tweaks and little, um, just little upgrades to keeping keeping base, keeping touch with your age and, yeah. and looking natural. That I I feel there's a lot of beauty too. So I don't feel any. It was a question that I had for a while, but mm -hmm. I don't feel any kind of stress about it. I am who I am. And that's yeah. also the other thing about being in this field that I'm learning. Be yourself. You yes. Can't, um, people actually appreciate you when you are who you are. Uh, I, di I did a little IGTV about um, a little droop that I developed after trying to inject myself, which we're not doing anymore. <laughs> This, we took our vows. We're not injecting ourselves anymore. Yeah. But I was, I was going to a conference, so what was I supposed to do? Yeah. Uh, and, and I showed it to my husband, and he was mortified. He was like, yeah, that's on the internet? You know, he said, the internet. I'm like, yes, honey, it's on my Instagram. He said, take it down. Oh, my God, how could you do that? Could... And I said, hey, these are things that happen. And mm -hmm. it can happen to anybody. Yes. And it's it's good for people to know that these things can happen mm -hmm. to anybody. And actually, I, I told him later on, it kind of paid off because somebody came in and she had a little bit of a heavy brow. And she said, oh, but I saw your IGTV and I know it's going to go away. So, oh, wow. but, but um, a lot of people think that Botox is candy that it's not a prescription that, mm -hmm. you know, um, they say, oh, I want Botox and not really knowing that it is, it's a prescription drug and exactly. there are serious implications and side effects. And we need to make sure that everything is explained during consultation. So people yes. know what to expect. Yeah. Yes. And I think that's a, such an important point that you brought up, you know, even kind of stemming from what we talked about before with the glamour, you know, some of these, especially, you know, people in their 20s, 30s, you know, wherever, we're growing up in this Instagram hyper technology type of world. And so, like you said, the Kardashians, you see this, you see that, we're like, oh, I don't, I'm starting to get a wrinkle. Uh, I'm going to go get some Botox or whatever. But we don't understand. Like if there was someone else, I, I can't remember, but um, they had interviewed this woman who she had um, uh, the drooped, a completely drooped eye because of what she had undergone. And of course it went away, but education and educating your clients so they know Botox is not candy <laughs> is super important. That's and, and actually that's my, um, favorite thing uh, to do during the consultation is really go over the different muscles I'm treating or mm -hmm. the different, you know, fat pads, ligaments, all the different, oh, we're going to so many cadaver courses now and learning about how the neurotoxins and fillers work underneath the surface of the skin. Mm -hmm. And 
I love doing a mini anatomy lesson for my patients before I inject. And people who've gone to other people say, oh, my, they just sat down and just boom, boom, boom. Okay, you're done. But I, I love my patients to understand why are we injecting that muscle and what can happen and what the dose is and why I'm using that dose and why I want you to come back for a two-week follow-up after your first dose so we can see how you react, see how things move. Um, I think that education and, of course, being a nurse, and I do find that we nurses were brought up on patient education. That's what we do. educate patients as to yeah, everything from post-surgery to mm-hmm. injecting Botox. So, <laughs> so uh, people really appreciate, especially when I say, do you have any questions? And they say, no, you really describe that. And I really understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. And I feel very confident. And I have, that's a word I love when people say, I feel very confident in what you're doing. And I I understand why you're doing it. Or on the other hand, I understand why you're not doing it. That's, That's a biggie too, because there are some things that are just non-surgically impossible, or mm-hmm. there are, you know, there are certain books that people want that, um, you know, everybody's a unique individual, yes. and their uniqueness needs to shine through. I never want to um, enhance a part of a person's face to take away from their unique beauty. There, there's different. And some people don't realize it. We look in the mirror every day and mm-hmm. we don't see ourselves realistically. And True. sometimes it takes another person to say, wow, the, the shape of your eyes and just that uniqueness has mm-hmm. to be pointed out before we start sticking needles into people's faces. I mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I always tell uh, my lip people, you don't want your lips to be the first thing that enters a room. <laughs> uh, you, you, you want people to, to look at your eyes or yes. to see the, see the sparkle in you. You don't want them to go, oh, whoa, you know, all lips. <laughs> exactly. And, 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 and we see it on Instagram and even in real life when people walk into the room, the first thing you notice is our lips and it's like you know it's, it's one thing if it's like you know a woman that looks like me and we have naturally large lips or something it's another thing for someone to walk in and it's like whoa like we know you weren't born with that stop <laughs> right so i i actually say lips walk into a room because i i do i did have a patient in her 60s who oh. insisted that her lips needed to walk into the room before her oh. and it was, I mean, it was getting a little bizarre. And mm. I was I was taking photos and saying, hey, let's look at your profile. Can you see this? Can you see that? But we don't see ourselves. True. Mm. You know, we, we don't. And um, yeah, there was a little discussion after that. 
because there comes a point where um, body dysmorphia is it can be dangerous to continue to treat a patient who has certain re, um, unrealistic expectations in my mind as to yeah. how they want to look and what they want to do to their face. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I know that you're not trying to be the poster girl for, you know, Berkshire edition of botched, you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Conservative is my middle name. Yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, kind of leading into that, the next guy, you know, um, so I'm sure because we tend to work with people that are 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 you know similar to us or or, or some white one of my mentors has said you know we're always most comfortable working with people that are ten years older than us and ten years younger than us. I don't know why, but you know this relatability. And so for women in their fifties and sixties, you know from what you have seen in your experience, what do you think are some of the most effective um, procedures? And also. What do you do in situations where you know your services won't get the results that your clients clients want? Um, that they need something maybe more invasive, right? So that definitely goes back to the anatomy discussion, and I always start with skin. When I see uh, women in their fifties and sixties, uh, they've either taken care of their skin or they've done nothing. They've either mm-hmm. baked in the sun. Uh, you know, smoked cigarettes for X amount of time uh, or slathered on oil of Olay forever. <laughs> I'm just saying that. No, that's not real. Sorry, oil of Olay. That's my mom, though. Um, yeah, ponds, ponds. I loved ponds. Take makeup yeah. off of ponds. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so we always start with what is the condition of your skin? And uh, if if there are lines that are etched into the skin, if I'm seeing sagging skin, um, mm-hmm. we talk about the pathophysiology of aging. Why are these lines etched? How did they become that way? Why is the skin sagging? What's happening? Um, I have diagrams, loss of fat pads, ligament stretching. Uh, I really want a person to be clear as to why I'm recommending what I'm recommending. And there are many women in their 50s and 60s who take, have taken great care of their skin and Botox and dermal filler is wonderful for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we start slowly, we do tweaky changes. Most women don't want their husbands to know. Most women don't want their friends to know, you know. So uh, slow going, but uh a refreshed look, uh, a, you know, I'm always gratified when someone says, well, that's 10 years off, you know, wow. but the goal is for well taken care of, refreshed, awake mm-hmm. look. Now for women, um, most women Botox will definitely work for, mm-hmm. uh, but we have to be realistic. If those lines are etched into the skin, what are you going to see? after your Botox appointment. So we're very big on skincare here. Mm-hmm. We do radio frequency microneedling. We have uh, broadband light and mm-hmm. uh, halo for resurfacing. Uh, we have hydrofacial. We do a lot to support skin health because I think for women in their 50s and 60s, having a glowing mm-hmm. kind of 
reflective skin really um, minimizes some of what we're seeing in terms of aging. Um, mm -hmm. Pigmentation from all of those years on the beach with yes. baby oil and iodine, you know, laying back and baking. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, we have uh, lasers that can erase those. And mm -hmm. it's, um, so skincare is, is a really big focus for me, for everybody. Yes. The younger you start with skincare, our 20-year-olds that come here, we discuss it. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely our 50, 60, 70. I have 80-year-olds who are still coming oh, for wow. their Botox. Yeah, wow. Botox and filler. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I do have a funny story about that, but I don't know if we have time to chat about that. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to do a follow-up. Like, this is so fun. Um, yeah. And, and, and so that that's great. and. You know, so my, my next question to you as we kind of wrap here is just, you, you, you've given us so much words of wisdom and like your story, you're a great storyteller. It's like, I love how you tell stories. Like I can listen to you all day, you know. Um, what would you say for those that are coming into the industry, you know, because what, what, no matter what age they are, what would be your advice for anyone who wants to come into the industry and they want to start their own med spa business. Right. Um, well, if you want to be an injector and start your own med spa, that's kind of different than actually wanting to own a med spa, not being an injector. But if you want to inject and own your own med spa, um, it's a hard industry to break into. It's hard to get uh, a job, especially most people are looking for injectors who have three years or more of experience. Mm -hmm. uh, I usually feel that how I started, I looked at the uh, laws in my state and how could I practice legally, safely within the boundaries of being an RN. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't quit my day job. I started very slowly, family, friends, the practice grew and grew, and eventually I got to a tipping point. I think that tipping point was easy for me to, um, to visualize, to understand yes. the financial tipping point yes. where um, when you first start out in this industry, people think, oh, you're charging so much. You must be rolling in it. Well, it really isn't that way. You, yeah. do, need, you do need to have a certain amount of um, patience and uh, definitely repeat patience to start depending on a financial base mm. to know that you can move on and invest in something like mm. opening a med spa. What is the size of the med spa? What, how are you going to finance it? All of those things, Leslie, I didn't look at. I took out my American Express. I'm like, <laughs> platinum points, flights. I, uh, you know, that's why what you're doing, I think, is so important is gathering all this information. Because at first, when I opened the med spa, I was keeping pace. Wow. I'm making the money, it's coming in, I'm paying the contractor until I started to experience a ripoff by the contract or I experienced 
delays in the build out. Or as a woman, I experience sexual harassment from a contractor. Um, I experience funding of equipment and machines that I had no idea how I should have gone about doing it. So I made a lot of a lot of mistakes and um, the experiences were invaluable. That's I am so happy that you get to share all of this from all of us with yeah. other people. But I was at a tipping point. I opened the med spa and here we are. I chipped away and chipped away at American Express and yeah. finally got that under control and uh, started working on my Instagram page and my social media. Yeah. I'm a really great web designer for search engine optimization, which I think is super important. Uh, last month, we got 89 Google requests for appointments. Wow. I mean, that's huge. That's, That's amazing. Uh, so, pictures. You get it, girl. Yeah. So find, yeah. So finding a really uh, a person who's experienced in this field to mm -hmm. set up your website and get you out there. Uh, working with community, I did an article uh, with the local uh, newspaper. We mm -hmm. we did a radio spot at one point. Just yeah. Uh, but I think um, honesty. Uh, that's my motto. Honesty saves everybody time. Honesty yes. saves everybody time. Amen. Just uh, be honest, and people do thank you for that. And word gets around. So mm -hmm. you don't want people to come into your med spa and kind of say, oh, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to drop this money, and there it goes, you mm -hmm. know. Uh, and it's um, it's something that I talk to all. I now have employees, which yes. I'm like, oh my god, I have employees. I have uh, the angel of office managers, Carrie, who uh, we call her the director of first impressions. That's yes. very important to have somebody who is like that. And I have an esthetician and a new nurse working, so we're growing. And yeah. everybody, we discuss this. We have staff meetings every other week. And mm -hmm. we discuss who do we want to be in this industry? Yeah. What do we what do we want? How do we want to present ourselves, both on social media and in the office? Mm -hmm. um, we have to have a um, definitely a united thought process for that. Absolutely. Yeah. And to that one of the challenges was I did go through a couple of employees and large salaries, and I learned a lesson in that. It was, you know, not the way to go. So a lot of yeah. different, yeah, things. Wow. <laughs> Stories and your story is amazing, and the nuances. How do you deal with a contractor who 
is a who sexually harasses you? How do you get funding? How do you even look up the state guidelines? This is all these things. That's the details. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. And uh, one of the other things in some of our original thoughts were what you do for a person who actually you can do nothing for, you know, yeah. you mm-hmm. look at that person and you say, and they're so disappointed and they're so, but that's when you have other colleagues that you refer out to, such as plastic surgeons or um, specialists who can really help enhance that person who's searching, who's searching for uh, a little bit of something, or maybe a lot of something. <laughs> it depends. Yeah. It depends. Yeah. Exactly. So tell us, Leo, how can we find you on Instagram? How can we find you on the web? Okay, so um, the name of my business, my like name what is you heard? Nina Silver. Please leave us a review. Ask my husband, I appreciate oh, what should you I call my business? Because Silver Follow Solutions, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. Like so and comment on it's Silver Solutions too. Med, also, med I Spa, your feedback and, and Instagram is Silver Solutions Med Spa, as well as Facebook, as well as our website. And that's it. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. Silver Solutions, as usual, everyone, everything's going to be a show note. So thank you so much. If you guys want to go to the Berkshires and get some Berkshire love, go see Nita at Silver Solutions. All right, well, it's great talking to you. I appreciate you. Bye. Bye.